Greetings ladies and managers, and welcome to this latest video for Retreat Hell, taken from the subreddit HFY. The link to the original is down below, and if you enjoy the story, head over there and let the author know. If you wish to support this channel, there are many ways to do so, also, strangely enough, listed down below. Don't forget to subscribe, or we'll have a platoon of angry cat-like creatures attacking you in your sleep. Anyways, on to the sci-fi. A quick thank you to the T5 peeps. Bob the Dragon, Data Magnet, Cat Crab Lobster, Dark Machine, Estrella the Dreamer, Mesic, Pudic Yol, and Casper Arnholtz. Thank you very much. Retreat Hell, Episode 16. It's a long, chonky episode, so I'm going to be breaking it up into three parts. So here we go, part one. So, how big is this place anyway? Kimber asked, peering out the side rail of the truck as it rumbled and bounced along the road that was well built and handled carts and wagons, but not made for heavy military equipment. The front of the truck's bed was packed with blankets, and second squad was crammed in behind them. Somewhere around 12,000 people before the war, Rin said, Though, between the royal host, camp followers, and refugees, there are tens of thousands of people in and around the city. A small city by local standards, Bradford said, owning herself a narrowed-eyed ear flick from Rin. She gave him a wink. What was it called again? Tianya, Rin said, cocking an ear at him. Bradford looked askance at Kimber as well. Weren't you paying attention at the brief? Gonna be honest with you, Jabs, Kimber said, glancing back. I kind of tuned everything out between, listen up, devil dogs, and uh, you're all ambassadors. That was the entire brief, he shrugged. Who actually listens to those things anyways? She glared at him. Ah, it's fine, Kowalski said. I've been talking to some of the guys who are handing out food and humanitarian shit to the refugees, and I've got a real dope on this place. Oh, God. So, they've got a bit of something for everyone, he said, leaning forward. Place has a reputation for good food, but it's kind of scarce right now. Anything local's gonna be expensive, but with the stuff we've got to trade, might be worth paying for a meal. Bradford nodded. Well, that's actually good information. They've also got this big open-air market thing, and a whole district of shops supposedly got a pretty nice garden thing that's kind of famous. And some statues and crap. Good for pictures and the like. She leaned forward along with the rest of the marines. Some of this was in the brief, but they were a bit sparse on the local details. It's pretty crowded and packed in spots, but uh, the main market area is pretty open. The army put up a wall around the place when they moved in a while back. Fenced in a huge part of the fields around the town, but they ain't using most of it. It was supposed to be able to hold most of the royal host. Serve as a strong point against the siege if the elves pushed across the river, Rin said. Right, Kowalski said. Given the order, but with their main force out by Williams, he jerked the thumb back up the road. They've given over a bunch of room to set up refugee camps. Gives them a spot to pitch a tent that ain't on the city streets. Or traipsing all over somebody's field or some such crap. He tapped a stack of blankets that he was sitting on. That's where most of you our guys are at, distributing supplies and crap. Also, still got a bunch of other army here too. They're rallying a lot of the troops that scattered when the elves routed them here. Before sending them back up to Williams, he flipped a hand over dismissive wave. 
Lost the detachment to the garrison to the town. Help give order, all that crap. The marines all nodded as Kowalski took out a small vaporizer and took a drag. He exhaled a light, fruity-smelling cloud off to the side. When did he get that back? I thought that Staff Sergeant Rickles confiscated it. Refugee camps and army barracks ain't got much to see, Kowalski continued, his voice a little foggy as he breathed out another hit of vape. Well, the market and drops are still booming. And most importantly, he paused for effect. They've got brothels, and they're totally legal. And there it is, Bradford sighed, leaning back in his seat. Davies frowned at him. But they're not human. Hey, man, the parts seem to match up close enough, and any hole's a goal, Kowalski grinned. Besides, at some point, us and them's gonna fuck, and I want to be able to say that I was one of the first to do it. Genya is a major trade city and culture center, Rin sighed. Their bazaar and shops are famous across the kingdom. It is not a Kalakai, but the market festival attracts tens of thousands of people each year. And the Kalkalai Gardens are one of the jewels of the kingdom. There is more to the city than its brothels. Like I said, something for everyone, Kowalski grinned. Rin flipped an ear back, holding Kowalski's gaze for a moment, then shook his head and sighed. I'll show you, Denya. I've been here a few times, even before the war. It is not the heart of Ganlan culture, but it has so much to see. The truck bounced over a pothole, hard enough that Bradford wondered if they hit something. Hey, watch your shoes, jerk, I just polished mine. Watch them yourself, feckface, I just polished mine. Why the feck do we gotta wear a class A's anyway? Davies asked, tugging his overly snug uniform. Why can't we just wear civvies? Because there is no hiding the fact that we're military here, and not much point to it, Bradford said. Yep, Kowalski said, taking another hit of his vape. Kimber tapped his shoulder and held out a hand that he passed it over. Brass is using us as an opportunity to show the flag and all that bullshit. They're sending marines on liberty to make a good impression, Samson asked. Are they fucking high? Meh, think of it like a back in World War II, Bradford said with a shrug. When Grunt cycled back from the front lines, got to go into town and schmoozed it up with the locals. They went everywhere in uniform. The truck bounced again, hard, and everyone had to grab something to keep from being thrown to the floor. Yeah, but this ain't the 1940s, Edison said. Nah, but it's also not Dirk Durkerland, Kowalski said, taking his weight back. Ain't no insurgent terrorists here, just a bunch of refugees, he grinned. And plenty of lone free ladies, with all the men off to war. He tapped Rin and the chest. Girls always love a guy near Vom, eh? Rin took a deep breath. His ears swept back and refused to acknowledge the comment. I just want to get something nice with Jenna and Katie, Mitter said. I want to try the cuisine, Edison said. I try everything once. I'm always down for the food, Davies said. I'm just down for the feck, Gomez said with a proud nod. Ah, uh, no, Davies said. He glanced at Rin. No offense, dude, but I ain't no fecking furry. I ain't either, Sikorsky said. But I missed out on clapping alien cheeks at the run on Area 51. I ain't gonna miss it out here. When is a furry? Ren asked, trying to remember where he'd heard the term before. That's, uh, th th that's a long story, Bradford said. I'll show you when we get back, bro. Dick just worth a thousand words. Stevens gave him a smile. Bradford sighed. That's not gonna end well. But he's gonna have to find out eventually.
The truck bounced again, forcing everyone into silence as they all scrambled to stay upright. Jesus, who the feck is driving this thing? Dewas asked. He's even worse than Kowalski. Man, fuck you. The truck bounced again. Hey, has anyone heard any more on what happened to Tadja? I mean, Yagi, Edison asked. I hope she's all right. Last I heard, they had her in a lockup while they figured out what to do with her, Bradford said. As much for her protection as anything else. She noted when most of the marines surrounded her. What'll happen when she gets sent back? Dubois asked, looking at Rin. His ears sagged. She'll face trial, but it'll be purely perfunctory. When it's done, she'll probably be executed. What? Jesus Christ! Crap, man! We can't let that happen! I don't think we will, Bradford said, waving down the marines. I asked LT about her before we left for the USO show, strategically timed when Captain Spader was walking by. He didn't say much, but it sounded like they put her in a locker, more to keep anyone from trying to steal her away than anything else. So we're keeping her, Dubois asked. You think the brass is just dumb enough to let someone as powerful as she slip away for no good reason? Bradford tilted her head, giving him a look at the corner of her eye. Have you met some of the brass? Bradford rolled her eyes. Your lack of faith in the chain of command notwithstanding, they're not that dumb. Owls are, Rin said. Shush you, she said, glaring at him. The truck bounced again, and Bradford felt herself hanging into the air for a moment before they all landed painfully back in their seats. Fucking hell, man. Jesus! You don't have to hit every goddamn pothole, jerk! Brake squealed, and the truck slowed to a stop. Bradford stuck her cap back on and poked her head out of back. They're finally here, she spat out. We're in the line to get into the gate. Thank fucking God. I thought we were going to die on that trip. I've had smooth rides going over an IED. A few minutes later, and their small caravan was waved through the gate. It was a tight fit to get the truck through the gate, but not as tight as Bradford feared. Shortly after passing under the arch, the trucks made a sharp right turn and proceeded into a large village of tents. They hadn't gone very far before the brakes squealed again, and the trucks came to a stop. All right, boys, uh, looks like we're here, Bradford said, standing and stretching. Everyone out and start passing out the supplies. Oh, what? We're on liberty. They gave us a ride. Plus, it'll be good to be seen passing out supplies. Bradford hopped down and clapped her hands, holding them out for something to be passed. Now Daisy chained it up. Uh, Mom, quiet being lazy bitches and get in line, Marine. Uh, fine. Several minutes and a lot of grumbling later, and the trunks were empty. Kowalski even took charge in sorting the supplies into three stacks. Blanket, camping stuff, and medical stuff, he said, pointing at each when Bradford raised an eyebrow. Thanks for the help, Sergeant, Jackson said. Much appreciated. This all for the refugees, she asked. Mostly, he said, nodding at the stack of medical stuff. The royal host has a field hospital set up over there in their camp. They'll be sending a cart over to pick up the stuff. Though, the blankets and other stuff was mostly for the refugees. We drive it over to them directly. But the ten streets aren't the widest or straightest over there. And we've got to get back to base and load up the feckwack with the food. He turned and pointed at a well-guarded pavilion. See that tent with all the troops around it over there? That's where we'll be in a few hours, distributing food for the rest of the day. Might be a couple other trucks scattered about to make things easier. But you'll definitely find us there for your ride back. Have fun with that, Bradford said, giving him a slap on the back, and the rest of his squad gave her an impatient wave. And don't work too hard. Never do, 
Only too obvious, she called over to her shoulder. Feck you. All right, she said, joining the squad and giving Ren a soft punch on the arm. I've got two cents in my pocket. Let's get this tour rolling. First thing is first, the market, he said, rubbing his arm before poking her in the back of the head with his tail. She swiped at him, but he danced out of reach. Yes, souvenirs, Samson cried. The market festival doesn't light off for another three months, but ten years' markets are still famous across Ganlon. You can find most anything there, he flicked his ears back, or at least you could before the war. Some things are a bit tight these days, but even before the portal was opened, the market was still very much active. He raggled his ears. Most importantly, for today though, it is also a great place to sell. I'll show you some of the right traders to sell all the human gadgets and paraphernalia that you've brought. Should get you a fine coin or two with it. Ah, capitalism at its finest, Kowalski said. Buying cheap, useless crap in one place and selling it for a mint somewhere else. The story of our trade with the Kalamkali, Rin said, chuckling. The markets were in a large open field that the city half engulfed. Dense pavilions and stalls of various levels of performance were erected all over the area. The place seemed like it could pack a lot more, however, even after accounting for several of the more permanent stalls that were empty. This place probably packed almost shoulder to shoulder during the festival, Radford thought, trying to picture the colorful silks and banners strung across the place that Rin was describing. It's bustling enough as it is. They stopped at several stalls, and while the marines did a little shopping, they were mostly selling. Not everyone was keen on doing business with the stocky elves, and a few gave them suspicious eyes. But many others were happy to see them and talked of them turning a tide in the war. Most were happy to take their goods for coin with a little haggling. Kowalski quickly rediscovered the knack for it, and it didn't take long before all Rin had to do was provide introductions and the occasional translation. They walked out of the market much lighter in goods and heavier in coin, though Bradford and Rin both held some of their stock in reserve. The tour of the city wasn't as grand as the sights in San Diego or San Francisco, but Bradford did enjoy the sculptured garden, and they all had fun taking pictures with various statues. Rin talked a little bit about the history of the city's architecture, and how it was one of the first cities to build a true sewer system but he could tell the marines were more interested in exploring the current city than the history lessons. Radford felt bad for him, leaning towards him as they rushed back towards the square. You can tell me all the history you want later, when we're not shepherding a bunch of toddlers. He smirked, licking an ear at her. As the tour was quickly finished, Radford reminded them to make sure that the peer-to-peer -peer app on their phones was running, and to keep their phones on them. They haven't gotten all the cell towers set up yet here, but with this app, we'll still be able to keep in touch and let each other know if anything happens. Yes, Mom, Kowalski said as the squad split into groups. And before they could blink, Radford and Rin found themselves partnered up and alone. Radford narrowed her eyes after the departed Marines. They're up to things they don't want me to see. She gave him a sympathetic frown. Surprised they didn't take you along to join in the fun, though. Would you let me go off with them unsupervised? He gave her a sideways glance and cocked an ear at her. No, she said, glancing back at him. There you go, he rolled his ears. Ugh, she sighed. I hate being the mom sometimes. He chuckled. Come on, I'll show you the rest of the gardens. Then we can head to the shops. She smiled. 
At least it'll be quiet for a change. She glanced at her phone before slipping it into a pocket. Hopefully. Are you sure you know where you're going? Kimber asked. Of course I do, Kowalski said, turning smartly down another side street. I always know where I'm going. The Kishman they passed in the street gave them a wide berth, staring at them until they rounded the corner. Um, Gomez scratched his head. What about that time, a, a couple of weeks before the portal opened, when you were trying to, to find the burger joint? Oh, all that time in the L.A. bra. We never did find that surfer shop. Or when we took a trip to the Grand Canyon, Kimber said. Gomez scratched his head again. I think I remember old Gucci telling a few stories about you getting lost in Afghanistan too, Hoss. Ah, Kowalski said, waving them off. I always knew exactly where I was at. He stopped at another corner. The streets here were paved with cobblestones, but they were old. Many were cracked or chipped and long in need of replacing. And exactly where I was going, just sometimes more important things presented themselves. You mean you got distracted by the first shiny thing that we passed by, Kimber said. Hey! Kowalski spun around, pointing a finger at him. You gotta grab any opportunity that pops up. Life's too short to do anything else. He turned back around and led them out into the next street. Besides, we're almost there. The street they stepped onto was definitely well traffic, though it had almost seedy atmosphere to it. They ain't getting a feeling that anyone would try and murder us for our shoes there, but it definitely ain't where the higher class types would be found. He glanced around. At least, none overly. They rounded the bend in the street, and he stopped. There it is, boys, he said, pointing at a large building ahead of them. It was well lit, both with lanterns and a few minor spells. What Kowalski took to be a magical equivalent of neon signs. What we all really came here for. Well, crap, you fecking found it, Gomez said. Bruh! I'd say I'd never doubted you for a minute, but that would be a lie, Kimber said. Psh. Kowalski waved a hand in Kimber's lack of faith. Come on, boys, we got us some cheeks to the crap. They marched forward with a deliberate purpose, but stepped through the door almost reverently. Kowalski doffed his cover as he stepped inside, and the others followed suit. This is definitely the place, he thought, as he looked around. The front door opened into a large hall overlooked by a second-floor walkway on three sides. A large bar covered the most of the wall on the left, ending at a doorway to another room, and a part of the wall opposite them. Couches of various styles were scattered throughout the room, and scantily clad women lounged about. Some watching the room, some chatted with each other, some sat in the laps of Kishman, who were clearly paying customers. To the right, the grand staircase wrapped around the wall, leading to the upper floors. The Marine's arrival drew the attention of most everyone in the room, though the few patrons and their attendees were too preoccupied with each other to notice. A light haze of smoke, incense, and perfume filled the room with a hazy aroma, and Kowalski breathed it in with a smile. And who are you? A buxom Kishman said, stepping out from behind the bar. She was dressed as provocatively as any of the other women here, but she had a few flecks of grain of fur and she carried herself with a supreme confidence and an air of control that left no doubt in Kowalski's mind that she was the lady of the house. If you are trying to find the army camp, I'm afraid you're quite lost. Oh, uh, we ain't lost, ma'am, Kowalski said, holding his cover in both hands and giving her a respectful nod. We're exactly where we aimed to be. She frowned, flicking her ears to the side with a small shake of her head. 
I'm afraid I don't understand your words. You won't find much help here. The help we're looking for is what you provide, Kowalski said, gesturing at the floor to try and convey his meaning, but only elicited another confused look and a shake of the head from the matron of the establishment. He frowned, scratching the back of his head. Well, feck. Ha, <laughs> you forgot this would be a problem, Kibber said, chuckling at him. Shut the feck up, Kyle. So did you. I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to leave, the matron said, gesturing at the door. I have customers who prefer not to be disturbed. Kowalski frowned. No, we don't want to go. We want to be here. He pointed at the floor again, trying to explain through gestures. I'm going to have to start humping the air to get my point across. Please, she said, gesturing at the door. I'd rather not make a scene. I'm sorry, ma'am, but you ain't understanding us, Kowalski said, holding up his hands. We don't want to go, he gestured at the door. We want to stay. He swung his arm back around to point at the floor. The matron's ears swept back in a stern expression, but before she could open her mouth, a large yipping laugh flowed down the stairs. Oh, Tanya, they are not lost. They are here to see us. The marines all turned to look at the new arrival and found their intention as snared. The young Keshman sauntered down the stairs was an orange as a tiger, with stripes to match, though they ran with her body rather than perpendicular. She had a few spots for good measure, and the tufts of fur at the points of her ears were also black. She stepped down the stairs with a casual grace and poise that would have demanded attention on its own, and combined with her stunning figure and proportions, she had the marines wrapped around her finger before she reached the bottom step. She grinned, clearly quite happy to toy with their attentions as she sashayed her way over to them. Her snout was on a smaller side for a Kishman and came to a finer point that any of them had seen before. Holding her tail up behind her, she flicked the tip back and forth in time with her steps. They are like any soldier boys. They are in need of company. Her voice rang with an exotic accent to Kowalski's ear. And for as little thought as he'd actually given the Gandalf language, it was still clear to him that it was not her first. She brushed Gomez's nose with her tail and she walked by, giving them a coy smile as they all turned to follow her with their eyes as she stepped over to the matron. So you shouldn't need any words to tell that, I think, she grinned at them. The matron Tanya looked at the new arrivals, then back at the marines, eyeing them in a new light. She chuckled. Hmm, I suppose you're right, sighed she. I thought perhaps I should offer them a drink. They look quite, um, parched. A drink would do quite nicely, ma'am, Kowalski said with a nod, taking his cover in both hands once more. Saishi giggled, her ears flicked from side to side. Well, at least they can understand you, which should be plenty enough for to make arrangements. We have done so with us, for sure. She gave them a grin, and so polite. You can understand us, Kimba asked. Ah, yes, she laughed. Though most here won't close enough to the battle to catch the spell, I was unfortunate enough to be. She flicked her ears back, giving them a sly look. Or fortunate, perhaps. Well then, come in, Tanyi said, taking a step back and waving them out of the entrance, and we can discuss arrangements. Hmm, do you do that, Saishi said. For me, I, though, I think I'm going to take the big one. She grinned, slinking up to Gomez. She ran her hands over his arms as she leaned into him, her nose twitching ever so slightly. Mm, so strong. She looked up at him through lidded eyes. Her ears slipped back, her head canted to the side. And what can you do for me? Hmm? Gomez shivered. 
Oh, I'll do whatever you want, miss. Hmm, she smiled, reaching up to tap him on the nose. I know you will. She slid her hands down his arms until the fingers had interlocked with these. Come, she said, holding him towards the stairs. Come and show me what will you do for me. Gomez looked over his shoulder at the group, a dreamy expression on his face as he was led up to the stairs. Oh, I wonder that one, Kowalski thought. Woof, brah. So, um, what about us? Gibber asked. For the rest of you, Tanyi leaned on the bar, inadvertently or perhaps advertently, exposing more of a cleavage. I'm sure you can understand that each of our kills has a price. Oh, uh, we can pay, ma'am, Kowalski said, reaching into his backpack to pull out a pouch. He shook it, producing a clink of heavy pouch coins. Tanyi's ears swung up. Excellent, she grinned. Twirling an ear away from the back towards them, Kowalski realized that they were still very much at the center of everyone else's attention, and found it escalated to a whole new level as they were suddenly surrounded by women. Take your pick, girls, or let them pick you. She flicked an ear at the marines. You get the standard rate if they pick you, or the each girl's special rate if you request them. Another ear flick. It's double for two. The marines all soon found themselves led off into adjoining rooms, or led up the stairs, eager to have a good time. 150 gold crowns, Bradford said, dropping a ream of paper on the counter in front of her and a heavy thunk. The merchant across from her flicked his ears. Have you been smoking Tiltra? I'll pay a full dram for a sheet of paper of this quality, he said, tapping her pocket notebook, sitting open on the table. But this, it's 500 sheets of paper that's four times the quality she said, carefully opening the package to reveal the printer paper inside. She'd sprung a little extra for mid-grade paper and was glad for it. Running her thumb along the edge, she flipped through the blank pages. His ears flicked back and his eyes narrowed, inspecting the paper. Ha! Got him. One hundred crowns. One forty. For that price, I could hire a wagon to go through the portal and get some myself. The merchant waved at the door of his shop. One hundred and ten. No more he said, locking eyes with her. 120, she said, returning his gaze. Or I take my business across the street. His eyes narrowed. Deal! Pleasure doing business with you, she said, holding out her hand. He grasped her arm in a cashman style, and they shook over the paper. He ducked into a small safe behind the counter, and came back to up to count out her gold, double-checking the count as she stuffed a half-dollar-sized discs into his second overfilled coin purse. She gave him a final smile and nod and turned away to find Rin. As she walked away, she caught sight of him in the small mirror. He grinned as he inspected the paper once more. And the set of his ears as he glanced at her back was unmistakable. Ha! That bastard thinks he robbed me. Repressing a skip in her step, she found Rin waiting by the door. Having fun swindling the locals. A blast, she said. Any luck? No, he said leading the way in and out of the shop, then falling into step beside her as they walked out into the street. They have nothing from the army here. I'm sorry, she said, then touched her stomach and frowned as something gurgled. Problem? he asked, tilting an ear at her. Yeah, she said, pushing the discomfort aside. Something we ate earlier isn't sitting very well. I'm surprised it's sitting at all. I warned you not to use so much Kalanzi, he flecked an ear at her. Yeah, but it tasted so good, weirdly sweet and zesty. You guys can make a killing with that stuff. You ate enough to put half a line in the latrine for a week, he said, his ears flicking up. 
Eh, doesn't feel any worse than that bad night at Taco Bell, she said, then chuckled. Though I bet Davies is crapping his brains out right now. He was practically drinking that stuff. I saw, he said, sweeping his ears back, then chuckling to himself. They looked at each other and shared a laugh at the thought of Davies' discomfort. Rin turned off the street, stepping onto an open shop door. This looks promising. Third time's the charm, she said, following him inside. What about this one? Mala asked, holding up a robe of a heavy silk-like material. It was blue with a white trimming and highlights. Oh, here, let me try it on, Samson rushed over. May I? He asked the shopkeeper, who nodded. He didn't understand a word of English, but had shown no difficulty in understanding their meaning. Here, hold this. He handed Miller a basket of several other items that he had already purchased, some from that stall. Of course, Miller said, passing the robe over as he took the basket. Now, let's see. Samson carefully slipped the robe on, then struck several poses before turning and walking back and forth like he was on a runway. How do I look, sweetheart? He said, putting on a mock tone of a fashion model. Just imagine me as Jenna. He paused mid-turn and swung his head to look at Miller, lips cocked. Does this make me look fabulous, sweetheart? Miller laughed. I think this one is definitely the one for Jenna. But I think the red one looks better on you. I think you're absolutely right on that, bro, Samson said, holding up his arms and looking down to inspect the robe. He carefully took it off and passed it back to Miller, who pulled out a handful of coins for the merchant. The Kishman happily took the gold pieces then took the robe and folded it inside a protective sheet of thin, rice-paper-like material. Miller took the package with a smile and carefully stowed it in their locally-made basket. Oh, oh, come on, Simpson said, grabbing his arm and pulling him towards another merchant stand. I see jewelry. We have to try it on. Oh, well, Jenna loves jewelry. End of part one. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed, and if you do, please consider supporting the author, even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment just to show your appreciation for the story. However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one, and until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers.